You're listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. In the blue corner, we've got Mr. Carl supporting Tottenham. In the red corner, we've got Mr. Kenner's supporting Arsenal. Together, they will be discussing all of your football views, all of your football news. So join us here on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Hello and welcome to what I believe is episode 24 of Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl and with me, of course, Jeff Saunders. Hello, Jeff. Good afternoon. Hello, Chris. Good to be here. Right. Well, we'll start, as always, with your trivia question. Okay. The trivia question is a simple one this week. Who is the oldest player to make their debut in the Premier League? So on the day that he made his debut, the oldest player. Okay, that is simple to understand. But the answer not quite so simple, I don't think. Well, not quite no. sure about that one. We'll it's, an inter- it's an interesting answer. All right, the oldest player to make his debut in the Premier League. All right, let's move on to what has been a fascinating weekend of football or round of football in the Premier League. Where to start, really? I mean, Leicester, brilliant. Liverpool, dominant. Yeah. Shall we start with Liverpool against Manchester City? Because there was a bit of controversy in that game. Liverpool won 3-1. What's your take on the game? Well, they did, they deservedly won 3-1. Um, I don't think the the nonsense about the handball and the VR really made a great deal of difference to it. They 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 were dominant. And I think the, it was not handball. So I think that part of it ends there. City were better in the second half than the first half. Created a lot of chances. I think they created more chances overall than Liverpool. I sat there never, never feeling confident they were going to score. Mm. Which, considering they have such... Aguero out there, who is, for, for my money, the best the best goal scorer that the Premier League's ever since ever seen, is is remarkable. Yeah, there's something about Aguero and Liverpool or Anfield, isn't there? That's yeah, very he doesn't strange. Score there. Yeah. I mean, don't think he had a shot, did he? Uh, no, no, he had some he had shots. A shot, but yeah. there was some strange statistic about not having uh, like one shot in the whole first half or something. City, yeah. is that? I'm, I'm not sure that he had a shot on target. Yeah, but no, they, it's they, like they voodoo hoodoo with yeah, him in Anfield. Well, that's right. They were hopelessly unbalanced in the first half. City, they they had width on the right and no width at all on the left. And it was only second half when Guardiola had obviously told Sterling he's got to got to play more left. And Klopp then responded by bringing on Gomez to double team Sterling because Sterling was was looking very dangerous. You know, I never got the impression that that enough. Enough chances were created from the possession that City had. Mm. People are saying that City are faltering and Pep Guardiola's losing losing ground a little bit. They may be running out of tactics, running out of ideas. People are saying that he does look quite frustrated on the touchline and in his interviews. Yeah, but he's always looked frustrated on the, on the touchline. I, I think that's a load of nonsense. That's just that, that's just writing you defining the narrative by the result rather than. You know, were people writing that before? I don't think they were. If Guardiola has decided that, okay, we played well, but it was a bad day and we lost, which is what he seems to be saying, okay, fine. We'll see, won't we? The matches coming up will show. Yeah, what I don't understand, I mean, like you say, you know, the press just make it up anyway. What? How do they know what his mental state is and what he's thinking yeah. or whether he has or hasn't run out of tactics? One thing that people are saying is that now that Liverpool are eight points ahead of their nearest rivals, Leicester, and nine points ahead of City, who are probably their real main rivals, yeah. that they are now going to win the league. But People are saying for some reason that's different from when they were 10 points ahead at Christmas. Well, exactly. We're not even at Christmas yet. Exactly. So why? What, what's the difference this year to last year? There is none. And the last time I looked, the, the team that win, wins the Premier League had played 38 games, not 11. So well, yeah. it's just nonsense. Yeah, we're at 12 games. So we're not exactly even a third of the way through the season. No. A spate of injuries, which Man City have got at the moment. They really do, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, bear that in mind, I've got 
uh, Laporte's coming back. So they've got players that can come back. It could happen the other way to Liverpool by Christmas and they could lose two or three of their main players. Well, exactly. And, and you know, City had six starters out for this match. So, OK, they, they've got a great squad and credit to them for building up a good squad. They can ride out the injuries better than Liverpool can. I'm not sure Liverpool have the depth in the squad that City have. But we just have to see. I mean, the, the, the caveat everyone had about Leicester when they did win the league was, oh, well, you know, we'll get to February and March and injuries and their squad isn't deep enough. And the same thing holds true, holds true today for Leicester. But they didn't have those injuries, and they and they did not just hold on, but they went on to win deservedly. And deservedly so, yeah. Well, but I mean, with Liverpool, they've got two games in 24 hours coming up in December. It's first of all, it's the Carabao Cup. I think it's on 16th or 17th of December, mm. whatever it is. Uh, the Carabao Cup quarterfinals, is it? And then the next day, they're playing halfway across the world in the Club World Cup. Yeah, it's nonsense, isn't it? Well, first of all, it's nonsense, but secondly, Klopper said, obviously, he's just going to field two different teams. Yes. There's your potential for injuries to happen, though, I think, because I'm not sure if he's going to play two different teams, or maybe he'll fly one or two players out for no. the second you, game. You, you, you can't do that. You can't go halfway around the world and play the next day. No, I, yeah, I mean, you, your Only Phil Collins can do that. <laughs> well, it wasn't even halfway around the world. No, was it, it wasn't, though, no. Mm. And he, he wasn't even on for an hour and a half, was he? Um, no, exactly. But, yeah, so, so it's going to be two entirely different squads. Yes. Which means not your normal... I mean, he be, he's going to have to use every squad player then, isn't he? To reach yeah. a full 16 or whatever on each side. Yeah, I'd imagine so, yeah. Because you yeah. you've only got a squad of, what, 24, haven't you, officially, I suppose? Yeah. Is that going to that's going to that's affect them a little bit? But well, they've uh, been fortunate I, so far. I think the thing that affects them is that from start of December onwards for the next six weeks, they play a match every three days. That's crazy, though, isn't it? Even in this day and age of the fitness of the athletes and everything, uh, psychologically, that's going to have an effect as well. Yes, maybe. But I, I think the the question marks that journalists were putting ahead of this match last weekend was the whole Liverpool. They, you know, they won't be able to handle the pressure. They're blah blah blah. Well, they look like they could handle the pressure to me. And yeah. I think one one of the the talents that Klopp has is he takes pressure off those players. He does it with a big smile on his face. And when you see them interviewed, they love Klopp. They love him, and they'll do anything for him. Yeah, I mean, he does genuinely enjoy football. Yeah, he does. I mean, obviously, he's under a lot of pressure, and you can sometimes see he's gritting his teeth when he's smiling when they have had a, a VAR or a, a referee decision unfairly go against them. You can see him gritting his teeth, but he carries on smiling. But Guardiola, at the end of the game, went up and very dramatically, shall we say, I don't know if you saw the footage, but mm. sure, well, you must have done, you watched the game, shook hands with the referee. For me, it was purely sarcastic. The way I interpreted the footage, it looked like he was taking the piss, dramatically stuck his hand out and shook, shook hands with the referee. He says he always does that and there was nothing in it. The FAA yesterday decided to take no action, but you saw the game, what did you think? Was he, was he being deliberately uh, dramatic yes i think he was so i think he was ma he was making a point and he, he has a perfectly valid point to make if the point is what the hell is the is the handball law because nobody knows i mean nobody knows it's just it, how can the same thing a ball hitting a player's hand be a penalty and not handball at exactly the same time, depending on where the where it happened and when it happened. Now, right, so a hand is a different thing in a different place, basically. No, but the, that, that thing, the ball hit, it, it came off Bernardo Silva's hand and then hit TA Squared's hand. <laughs> and so the referee said, no, it was ball to hand, therefore it was not a goal, not, a, not handball, therefore not a penalty. But the law says 
if the ball hitting the hand, even if it's accidental, leads to a goal being scored, then it is handball. So how can you create a situation where exactly the same thing has two different results, depending on where it is and what happens? The super brain in a jar, Jonathan Wilson, the, the Guardian football comment writer, came up with what's, what's become known as the Wilson paradox, <laughs> where, where he said, imagine a situation where there is a corner and the ball hits... It's, it's ball to hand, hits a player's hand. He hoofs it up the pitch. And let's say it's someone like Jamie Vardy runs onto it. First time shot into the goal. Mm-hmm. Now, VAR rules say you have to go back and that handball, because it led directly to a goal, even though it's not handball, if it didn't lead to a goal, is now a handball. Therefore, right. it's a penalty. Right. So what So what the forward, the Jamie Vardy in this, in this example, has to do is deliberately miss. Because if he scores, they go back, the goal's wiped out, the other side get a penalty and they score. Now, how can you have created a situation where that can happen? And we had it this Sunday. We had it. Yeah, I get the Wilson thing, but it's also kind of a Schrodinger's handball. It's both handball and not handball at the same time. Exactly. You know, until you actually depending on whether a goal scored, yeah, yeah exactly. until a goal is scored, yeah. and then some, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Weird, very strange situation. They have come out this week, haven't they, and said that the the powers that be that they're very very pleased with how VAR is operating, and they're going to score it a seven out of ten. I think they probably need to go back and relook at that one again on the screens, but they, well, they, I, they're I, very I think, happy with it. I think VAR is doing exactly what they want it to do. They want to use it to manipulate matches, and they are. Yeah, I mean, all the managers are screaming out, of course, for the referees to go and look at the big st- uh, big screen on the exactly. side of the pitch. Which is yeah. And they're saying the same in Italy, they're saying the same in Spain. Yeah. You know, th- that, that's the future, that's the way it should go. Well, well, it, it's only Mike Riley, the, who is the head of the, the limited company, and this is important that it's a limited company, that is the Referees Association. He has told Premier League referees they are forbidden, forbidden, mind you, from looking at the screen. Why? The referee is supposed to be in charge on the pitch. Hence the name, hence the title, yeah. Yes. So why has he forbidden them from doing that? There's something sinister there. We've there said it on last sinister. week's podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely something sinister. I did uh, see a suggestion on social media, on the internet, so it must be true, but it was an idea uh, suggested by somebody that they should limit the time depending on what they're looking at. So if, it, if there, uh, there is a goal, but there is a question of, of, of offside, they should look at it on VAR, the big screens, wherever they are. If they cannot decide whether it is offside or not within a one minute then it should be given to the attacking, the, the benefit of the doubt should be given to the attacking side. Not to sit there for two or three minutes, there should be a, a time limit regarding each offence. So an offside, you get one minute, a handball possible penalty or, or disallowed goal, you're allowed 90 seconds and so on. Because otherwise, if, if you can't decide after a minute if it's offside or not, then nobody knows, then therefore it should be... Well, if you can't decide after a minute, then what does the law say? The law says, the, the offside law says, it must be obviously offside. That if there is any doubt, it goes in favour of the attacker. That's what the law says. So, there you are, then, yeah. so this is another example of Riley and his people with VAR rewriting the law through mm. the back door. So, I mean, yes, if there's any doubt, then... If there's any be, doubt, if it's not offside. That's, that's what the law, the laws of football, that's what it says. Well, then, and they're taking three minutes to decide. Yeah. Then there's something that, that's So, by definition, then. it was onside. Yeah. 
yeah, innocent till proven guilty, yes. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you've got you've got to have the the, the evidence. Let's move on. Then that's uh, Liverpool against Manchester City. It's not a done deal, is it? Liverpool, just because we said about the ten no. points lead they had last year. No, not not at all. But I, I think Liverpool played played extremely well. They had a, a system that works very well um, with central midfielders who are essentially defensive ball winners. And Henderson does a little bit of box to box. That cross he put in for Manes. Mm. Manes had a, what a fantastic cross that was. Best cross I've seen for years. It was just wonderful. It took took out the goalie, took out the defenders. Only one person could get it. Mm. You know he'll you know he's Henderson, so he'll try fifteen thousand times and never do that again. But <laughs> but you know fair play to him. He did it then. And All Trent right. Alexander. Oh, what a player. Yes, what a great player. Yes, let's. Let's move on then, because there, there was an incident. Well, move on in the sense that a slightly different topic. There was an incident in the game at the end of the game between Raheem Sterling and Joe Gomez. Mm. A bit of pushing and shoving and arguing. Well, the pushing and shoving was it was coming from from Sterling and Gomez just was just standing there with a smile on his face, mm. looking looking down at him and saying, "Come on, you know, don't be so stupid. Yeah, don't be silly." <laughs> what happened though was the next day training with the England team, both players. Mm. Sterling kicked off again. It was still, you know, emotions in his mind at least were still running very high. Again, I believe Joe Gomez just stood off and, and was visibly yeah. apparently upset that yeah. having been apologised to by Sterling the day before, he'd started again. Yeah, and, and what did Ster uh, Gomez do wrong? He walked up to him with a smile on his face and shook his hand. And that's what that's caused what Sterling to kick off. So and obviously, the, the, the City players are saying that Guardiola is in control of the City players, not taking that game or that defeat well clearly well no and and you wouldn't want them to to sort of take it well you'd want them to hurt but why he, he kicked off again at Gomez is well only only he knows yeah so we, I mean, we don't know the background but Gav Southgate the England manager ruled Raheem Sterling out for the, the game that as far as we're concerned uh, is upcoming on Thursday yeah. against Montenegro he's, he's said he can't he's not he might play in the game against Kosovo uh, next Sunday but he's not playing in this game it would be interesting if it was a game that mattered, isn't it? All right, so we're, we're, giving, <laughs> we're giving Southgate the benefit of the doubt that he's made the right decision by making a statement. Yeah. But had it been the semi-final in the World Cup against France, you would have just played him, obviously. Oh, I think yeah. so, yeah. That's the way that works. Let's move on to Leicester then, who were at home to Arsenal. We're going to talk about Arsenal later because we loved, love talking about Arsenal. I'm a Tottenham fan, so kind of... A little bit of relief from the woes of being a Tottenham fan. And we'll come to those in a moment. But Leicester are absolutely brilliant. They were flying, weren't they? Yeah. You That's and I watched that game. Yeah. With all due respect to Arsenal, it could have been the Arsenal of old and they would have still lost. Yeah. That, that Leicester team on Saturday would have beaten anybody. They were... It was the best performance by a, a Premier League team I've seen this season. It was wonderful. You couldn't watch that and not fall in love with football. It was superb. Yeah, I think that's definitely that definitely the way I felt about it. I, I couldn't keep my eyes off the screen. It was pleasure to watch. It was poetry. It was, it was art. Yeah. It was it was flying football. Every player mm. instinctively knew where the other one yeah. should be, and they were where they should be. Yes, I mean they were passing. They could have played that game blindfold. It looked like they could have done that. They were so good. It was well, it was, it was a pleasure of, to watch. Think of the midfield and Indeedy, Tielemans, and Madison. What a midfield that is. Mm. They obviously. They know what they're going to do. They, they know where Vardy needs the ball. And, you know, that team is designed to get Vardy the ball where Vardy needs the ball. Mm. And you have to hold your hand up to Brendan Rodgers and say he's worked miracles with that team because this time last year, it wasn't beyond the realms of possibility they'd get relegated. Yeah. They were utterly clueless. He came in and, you know, his... I've said this before, but his points per game from when uh, Rodgers came in to the end of last season 
had that been over the whole season, they'd have finished 16 points higher. And yeah. all all Leicester have done is just carry that on into this season. Yeah, I think when he took over, they were 16th or something. Yeah, yeah. And now they've got more points than oh, and more goals and a better goal difference than they had in than the season when they won it. This time that year, 12 games in, they were one point behind the leaders and then went on to win it. This time they're eight points behind, so it just shows how good Liverpool are, I suppose. Yes. But Leicester are... I mean, if they don't finish in the top four, it'll be a, a huge disappointment, I think, for football because when they won the league, it was a breath of fresh air. It was, And yeah. they're doing it again. Oh, they're very much doing it again. I, I, I can't see them winning the league because they've got yeah. too, too many points to make up against um, against Liverpool and I can't see Liverpool dropping that many. But uh, I would have thought they're almost nailed on for top four. Yeah, they should uh, be. It, it, it can only be you know a lot of injuries later in the season that, that can stop it. Right. But they, they do have one huge advantage compared to everyone else that's um, competing with them for the top four. No European matches. Mm. Yes, again, this uh, this yeah. counted in their favour when they won the league. Of course, yes. If it was, we said, there's, you know, Liverpool have got all these games coming up. You know, Tottenham struggling in the league, but doing well in the Champions League mm. lately. Yeah. Um, I do hope the manager Pochettino isn't <laughs> isn't just concentrating on the Champions League and forgetting about the Premier League. But again, you know, they drew with Sheffield United at the weekend. Another average performance from Tottenham. They were they were lucky to draw. Mm. And Sheffield United deserved to win, and they had a goal disallowed that should not have been disallowed. And it's a complete mystery to me how that can have been given offside where it clearly was onside. But again, uh, there was there was some doubt, and therefore it should have been given. But well, yeah, but the lines that were drawn by the VAR people showed the Sheffield United player onside. So how can it have been given offside? Yeah, it's it's all very mystifying. Um, but Tottenham struggling. There's been talk of Pochettino being given a sack or leaving. There's talk of Emery at Arsenal going. And then you have, I mean, Brendan Rodgers, as we've just mentioned, getting Leicester to play so brilliantly. Is he not possibly at least the third best manager in the league or possibly in Europe? I mean, behind Klopp and Guardiola in England. But he definitely is one of the best managers around. Would he go to Arsenal or Tottenham? <coughs> I'd imagine he would go to, to either of those, yes. Arsenal, Will Cronkey pay the money, you know, three years salary to get rid of Emery or two years or, or whatever it is. And will let will Levy do the same with Pochettino? Thirty two uh, million is the alleged amount he'd have to pay Pochettino to get rid of him. Well he's not so gonna your do answer it, is there he? is no. <laughs> so it's not gonna happen, is it? Not gonna happen. No. Let's go back to Arsenal because our friend Steve Kenneth Kenton has been raging, hasn't he, lately well, on uh, Facebook. Well yeah he he had a he had a rant about um, Granite Xhaka. And quite rightly uh, uh, well, yeah, and, and, and posted on the, the Carl and Kenner's Facebook site which you should visit because it's a bit of fun he posted on the site that a toaster was more use in, in the mid, midfield of Arsenal than Granite Xhaka mm. Sim uh, simply I suppose because it's an in inanimate object that you have to run round whereas, yes. <laughs> whereas Xhaka isn't I think we should bearing in mind Arsenal's performance against Leicester City where they appear to have put out 11 toasters we should rename them they're not the gunners anymore they're the toasters they're the toasters yes yeah. so each one of them is an inanimate, inanimate useless object yeah. uh, not just Granite Jacker so go toasters go toasters yeah <laughs> we'll just have to see where they pop up in the league alright stop indeed. that <laughs> um, <laughs> stop it but Granite Jacker back to him very briefly because you want to have a little comparison with a player in Europe in a moment. Yeah. Uh, but is he finished at Arsenal now? Oh, it has to be, yeah. Because he came out yesterday, I think, and said pl the fans are to blame for Arsenal's poor form for 
booing him and booing the rest of the team at other times and therefore putting the players in a bad mood. Well, OK, there, there is a, an old English expression that's, uh, when you're in a hole, stop digging. So, yeah, really, shut up, Granite, yes. shut up. Um, you know, how to win friends and influence people. Yeah, I mean, he's just making it worse. I mean, he needs to shut up and his PR team needs sacking, yes. I think, because yeah. that is, that is uh, not the way to go in the current situation. So he walked out the stadium and all that, but somebody else did it this week, didn't they? Well, yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo was uh, substituted for the second game in a row, and he stormed off down the tunnel, and he'd left uh, left the stadium before the match had finished, which is one of the things that Granite Xhaka was accused of doing. Yes, it's one of the things Xhaka did. I mean, he did several others as well Mm. on his ways of doing that. So for me, Granite Xhaka's offence is a bit higher, but Ronaldo, petulant. Well, uh, what a shock. Who would have thought Cristiano yeah, Ronaldo? Yeah, we're not that surprised. Yeah. Who would have thought the, the, the Ronaldo who lay down on the ground <laughs> in one of the uh, the Real Madrid-Barcelona Classicos at the Bernabeu, he's lying down on the ground like a two-year-old having a temper tantrum, banging his fists into the ground because <laughs> somebody didn't pass to him. Who would have thought that that person would... Yes, w- the same would, person yeah. who, who gets substituted. I mean, to add insult to... Well, not injury, because he was substituted, not for yeah. injury, but for because they needed to substitute him for tactical reasons. But Dybala came on in his place, and then just to her, Ronaldo even more went on and scored, which can't That's have scored kind of a very Ronaldo's good goal ego. as well. A very good goal. But then Dybala only scores brilliant goals. Yes, yeah, and we so, want him at Tottenham, still hoping yeah. that that will happen. Yeah, well, I, I think they'll, they'll keep him at Juve, and, and I would not be at all surprised if Ronaldo was moved on. His, his transfer to... Juventus has been a failure. It it has not uh, achieved what it was supposed to achieve. He scored the same number of goals last season that Dybala did the season before. Mm. And there there are rumours that the reason Dybala doesn't play is that Ronaldo doesn't want him to play. So he scored the same number of goals. Juventus, with Ronaldo, conceded more goals. They scored 16 fewer goals with Ronaldo, and they scored fewer points, five fewer points, Mm. to win the league for the seventh year in a row. So on every measure, that, that transfer has been a failure. If as a direct replacement or swap for Dybala, it makes no sense. If he was there to strengthen the team and be alongside Dybala, then it would have made more sense. But of course, well, it you would have, have that. It would have made more sense. It would be very difficult for that to happen. But if if he was there to strengthen or improve the team, you would imagine that one of the one of the metrics would have improved. There would have been more goals. There would yeah. have been fewer goals conceded. They'd have won more points. In fact, everything went went south. Well, in that case, not to improve the team, but had Dybala left and he replaced him, and then his goal's more or less yeah. the same, then that makes sense. But say, he didn't okay, replace yeah. him. Dybala's still there. Dybala's still there and still looks brilliant. And what what and a debacle. Yeah, and if if anybody really wants to know, go on YouTube and look look at Dybala, because he is, for, for my money, he's in the top three in Europe as a footballer. He's just wonderful. Yeah, he's a, a brilliant, brilliant player, and I hope to see him in the Premier League at least next season, if yeah. not before. All right, look, let's let's move on to, to West Ham, your team, because well, this do we week... Have to, do we yeah, have to? We have to. Well, I'm oh sorry, we God. have to. The problem being, of course, is that we have said before that Pochettino, Emery, Silva at Everton, and now Pellegrini at West Ham, all in fear of their jobs, I would imagine. Yes. But the board came out yesterday and said they, they back him fully. Um, so that's the end of that then. Oh, dear. Yes, <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, Yes, taxi or private hire car for for Pellegrini. Uber for Pellegrini. Uber yeah. for Pellegrini. But, but um, w- what the the Hammers board have done is, is fire the director of football, who is a, a close friend and ally of Pellegrini. So it's just like, if you like this, this is a shot across your bows. You, 
But there, there must be something wrong there because it's okay to to blame Roberto, the, the replacement goalkeeper for Fabianski. And, you know, look at the Newcastle game. They got three goals and Roberto should have saved every single one of them. But how did Newcastle get get into the penalty area to score those three goals? That's yeah, not Newcastle, that, for goodness sake. Yeah, yeah, that's not down to Roberto. Something is going wrong there. Because if you if you write down the the names of the midfield and attack of West Ham, they're as good as anyone in the league except Manchester City. Do they get into any? So any they're team? not playing, and that is the job of the manager. Here are these assets; you make the best use of them. And Pellegrini is not. So, are you losing faith? Because he's a good manager. He's I mean, a good manager. manager. I was really pleased when he went there because I, I loved watching Villarreal in mm. in Spain when he he managed them. They was they were just in fact just like West Ham. They're a local team with a not very big ground. They play attractive football, so people keep filling the stadium every other week. It, it's it's exactly the same, and yet now it isn't working. And how can a team with uh, with Anderson and Lanzini and Fornaus? How can they not be creating chances? And then you've got you've got Hello, you know, was a great goal scorer, yeah. uh, misfiring at the moment a little bit, or not getting selected as often as he should be. Mm. The young Spanish guy uh, you signed, Fornaus. Yeah. Yep. Uh, being a bit of a disappointment. I well, he's, not, he's just not getting the starts. So he's not being a bit like Lo Celso and then Dombele exactly. and uh, Sessegnon at Tottenham. Yeah, exactly the same. Yeah. You know, I mean, they have been used for various reasons. Injury was some of the one of the excuses, but also they have been available. And Pochettino's chosen not to select these guys who are, I think, the future of Tottenham. Well, the same with that guy at uh, West Ham. Exactly, but I think in, in Tottenham and Lo Celso, Lo Celso is clearly the you know a, a better player than Eriksson. Oh, and goodness, a yeah. far more right effective now. player. But you do wonder whether Pochettino has been instructed to play Eriksson so they can sell him. There must be, because his, his form has been dreadful. I mean, on all the Tottenham uh, social media pages, on Facebook, one of them, that I'm a member of, Glory Glory Tottenham Hotspur, just to give them a plug because they do listen to the podcast. They're all saying, you know, that they, they, they were almost disappointed when Ericsson scored last week <laughs> because he came on as a substitute and everybody went, oh, no, not Ericsson. And then he went on and scored. And we didn't need the goal anyway. We we're already three up or whatever. Mm. But um, in the Champions League, wasn't it? And the Tottenham fans were sort of sarcastically or ironically groaning and going, oh, no, he scored. That means he's going to get selected against Sheffield United. Oh, no. Tottenham fans have lost faith with him. They still think he's a great servant for the club, great player, but he's not playing any more uh, up to what he used to. No, he's not. He, he clearly he's not isn't. He's, he's, he's dialing it in, isn't he, really? You know, we are where we are, and he wants, he wants a way in after Christmas, and we'll have to see who has the money to buy him. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd like to see him go because for his for his own sake, yes. but also for a bit of harmony in the Tottenham dressing room and on the pitch. Yeah, either that or Silver Tongan. That gets you the harmony as well, doesn't or it? Or one of them, yeah. But I think, yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, we all know that story, the alleged story. Going back to Pellegrini and Emery and all those, you know, all his managers' jobs are dodgy. Uh, Pellegrini, he's sort of been given time because the board understand that Fabianski has been injured and therefore yeah. you know, that might be part of the problem. Emery has been told to pull his socks up, basically, by the uh, the Arsenal board. They've said they back him, but he's got to pull it. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but he's got to pull his socks up and start turning things around pretty sharply. So that doesn't look good. Well, for the toasters, there's Allegri sitting in the background taking his English lessons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, that's got to happen, hasn't it? I mean, it's just it's a deal made. You know, it's just the right deal for everybody, isn't it? I think Arsenal fans, and I think Steve Kenton, would agree that Allegri would be a great manager for Arsenal. Well, mind you, or 
Cardiff City have just fired their manager, haven't they? Um, oh yes, Neil Warnock's Neil left Warnock, Cardiff. Yeah. So you know, if the toasters get involved in a relegation scrap, Warnock's just the man, isn't he? Actually, you're right. Yeah. So Warnock to Warnock, Warnock to, to the toasters. <laughs> Please let it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Warnock has left Cardiff City after over three years in charge. Taken, up, he's been there twice. Took him up. Yeah. Took him down. Took him up again. He never really, never really flourished in the Premier League, but really flourished in the Championship. He's a Championship manager. He's a Championship isn't he? manager. I yeah, think no, he enjoys very, it. There. Very, very good one. Yeah. Yeah, that's his. I don't know whether whether he'll continue in management or not. But so he left by uh, mutual agreement, was it? Yeah. Kind of thing. We don't know what that really means, do we? Yeah. No, it, it means that you know they're, they're 14th in the league. That's what it means, or lower, I think. Well, it, what what it actually means is we'll give you this slug of money, but you don't say nasty things about us in the press. Is yeah, what, that's what, it what means, leaves yeah. by mutual agreement actually means. Which is why he's been saying all his platitudes about yeah, how much he loves Cardiff. Yeah. I mean, he had a bad year, didn't he? In general, um, I think you know there's some personal problems as well. Yeah. And then the whole Salah thing, the, the helicopter crash, and yeah. unfortunately, I think that affected him quite a bit. Yeah, I think I think it Emotionally, did. Emotionally, I mean, immensely. You know, the thing about Warnock, he's he's a, he's a football man, isn't he? He's he's not fancy in any way. He just loves football, and he likes football played the way he wants to play it. And as long as someone will pay him to be a manager, we'll get the team to do that. So Neil Warlock to Arsenal, please, we want it to happen. <laughs> that, that, that really would be the gift that keeps that, on giving. It would, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and then what would happen would Neil Warlock, this is the scenario I want to see, is Neil Warlock goes to Arsenal, gets them, rele- gets them into the relegation zone, they sack Warlock and bring in Allardyce to save them. So they'll have those two fantastic managers mm. that are a great fit for Arsenal. And um, in the background is, is Mourinho's agent still popping these these plugs into the press. Yes, seriously, but, though. But that isn't going to happen. No, it won't be Mourinho. It won't be there. I mean, Mourinho is yesterday's man, and anyone who knows anything about football knows he's not the solution for anyone at, at the top. I mean, Mourinho doing some great punditry work, quite quite amusing, quite interesting on uh, mm. all the different TV stations uh, commentating on games and putting people in their place. He's, he obviously seems very relaxed and enjoying it, and he's very good at it, actually. He's very good at it, yeah. He is very good at it. Maybe that is his future, you know. He's, he's done it, he's been there. Maybe he is yesterday's man, but I don't think, we've said this before, but I don't think Arsenal can afford him. No. I don't mean necessarily his salary, which is also a, a bit of a, a, step, a stopping huge, point. Yeah. But that he likes to spend money. He doesn't believe in bringing new nope. team players through. He's, he's going to want a big war chest, and Arsenal never release more than 70 million. He, he's not the right, right fit for Arsenal. For the toasters at all. Yeah. The toasters, yes. <laughs> so, all right. So we think Allegri would be... We want Warnock, but we think Allegri would be the, uh, a great manager for Arsenal. I think Allegri's a, a better bet, yeah. And we, we certainly don't think Emery will be uh, with Arsenal next season. No. But possibly will stay to the end of this because because of the money and everything else. Yeah, I, I would imagine so. Look, if, if for anyone who wants to get rid of their manager, you have to have in mind somebody better. You've got to know that you're going to get yeah. a better one. Otherwise, don't do it. Yeah, and the other the other thing, of course, is with Mourinho, they were saying, for example, and it'd be the same for any manager, I think, that if he doesn't get the job, allegedly, or, you know, theoretically get the job at Arsenal before January, he's not going to take it after. Because if you don't get a transfer window in as soon as you start, you're not going to go, you know, get signed up in February and go for the rest of the season with the old manager's players. So if they're going to get somebody in, it has to be before Christmas, really. And we are approaching that fast. And and we're in a uh, international break. Management changes tend to happen. Oh yes, that is true. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lovely time to sack somebody. Mm. Uh, it's during the, the international break. 
because nice and quiet around the uh, around the around the ground. Um, you can get the manager in quietly and sack him while the players are away. Mind you, for for toasters fans, that would be good. They they bring in a new manager, they can start slagging him off before he's even started. That would be yes. Good. <laughs> you know, in the, in the two weeks between starting and putting a team out, they can have decided to hate him. They almost have a sort of generic hashtag and and banner, don't they? But anyone out, anyone out, yes. anyone <laughs> out, everybody yeah. out. Don't care, Allegri, Emery, Warnock, everybody out. The toasters do they do they do like to. Um, hate on uh, they do like to they hate do. on people I, don't they a little bit they're an extraordinary sort of supporters for you know reserving their bile for their own players yeah I mean you you kind of understand how Jack had had enough but I don't support yeah. his actions but yes. it does seem to be something that happens there quite a lot let's turn our attention a little bit to international football for a while European Championships qualifying games we're coming to the end of that that almost now yeah. we are uh, coming up to an international break two games for England Montenegro and Kosovo yeah, two big games. We only need, I think, only need to win one of them or we'll get a point from one of them to automatically yeah. qualify for the next round uh, for, to get to the finals. It's a chance for him to play young players. Obviously, there yes. has been talk of bringing Vardy back because he's the he's top scorer in the league. Yes, so why that. wouldn't you pick an informed player? But he's thirty-two. Look, the, the only argument for bringing Vardy in is is if you have a, a an injury crisis with your centre forwards and you need someone as an emergency the young players they've got are perfectly perfectly good enough to mm. to do it and no Vardy's not the answer well I, I am puzzled unpleasantly puzzled looking at the players that he has brought in I mean Lingard Hudson-Odoi mm. uh, Winks why why are they in the squad what have they done what, yeah. Hudson-Odoi what has he done to warrant playing for England Please, somebody tell me which matches he's been excellent in. I How many matches has he started? Three. And was he excellent in them? No. no. He looked he looked promising occasionally, but there, there wasn't enough end result from, from the dribbling that he does. Compare him to Jaden Sancho, and it's like night and day. I mean, Jaden Sancho is the, the real deal. And one of the top three players in the Bundesliga for the last two years always delivers with goals yeah. and assists. What what is Hudson Odoi doing in that squad? No, and, I don't get it either. And Winks, Winks, Winks shouldn't even be in a Tottenham squad. Well, I'm a Tottenham fan, as you know, and I uh, I had great hope for Harry Winks as he came came through the youth system and everything else looked like a decent player. I don't understand why he's getting picked regularly now. There are so no. many other players, as we've mentioned, the new signings, everything. So many players that are better in his position at Tottenham. There's competition for that place. It's not like he's the only one that can fill that position. Yeah. I don't think he's currently good enough for Tottenham and certainly not for England. No, and Lingard is exactly the same. What has Lingard done in the last three years that warrants a place in the England squad? I've yet to see it. One, one of the issues about young players, when they come in, supporters love to see a young player come through their, come through their system. They're, oh, that's great. And all they focus on for the first you know several matches is the good things he does and they tune yes. out they tune out the mistakes now with winks we're seeing the mistakes he made he's always made them but you think oh well you know he they can train that out of him coach that out of him as he gets more experience well he's not he's still giving the ball away the, the way he did before yes he said now instead of thinking oh he's a great young player he's one of ours blah 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 people saying he's just giving the ball away again 
Yes, there is that thing, actually. You're right. They do, fans and pundits and media yeah. do gloss over it. When, when a young player comes through and he's 17 and a half or 18, they, they'll have this thing, oh, he scored his first Premier League goal, scored mm. his goal on his debut, scored his first home goal, had a great performance, and they keep going on and on and on about how great he is. And they go, he's a young prospect, he's a young prospect. And then suddenly you realise they're not young anymore. That's right. Yeah. And suddenly you realise that they've been treading water for two years and not actually been that good. Exactly, and that, that's where Winks is. They're trading on past trading on being that young starlet yeah. but you're not a starlet anymore and I think Winks is getting to that age like Deli Alley who's I think is actually just a little bit younger than Winks actually by a month or so is he? Yeah. Deli Alley is also you know one of those players that getting to that point now where he's no longer a starlet yeah that's you right know, yeah. but he, he Harry Winks He's certainly not in Delhi's Alley's class anyway. Um, no. But I don't think Winks should be in England set up. And I think he does need replacing at Tottenham. Uh, I, don't think he's, I think he's playing too many games. I, I would also say, and, and you might well disagree with this, but Harry Kane should not play for England. He's Sorry, he, what now? Harry, <laughs> Harry Kane, his form, he should not be playing for England. He's not the informed striker. True enough. I mean, he's one of the best strikers in Europe. When he's um, on form, you know he's yeah. got in form. But I mean, he's still the last England outing. He, I mean, he played his heart out and he did score, and he was he was excellent for England. For for Tottenham, he's not. I don't think he's getting the service he's used to. He's having to track back a lot. He has provided a few goals. I mean, we mm. haven't scored that many, to be honest, have we? So perhaps, perhaps he needs a restaurant. We don't. England don't need him actually no. in these two games. I, I would play the the Chelsea, the Chelsea lad. I'd start him instead of Kane. Uh, Abraham. Abraham, yeah. Yeah, Tammy Abraham. Well, we don't. We, we need a point or something ridiculous for yeah. two games. One of them is at home to Montenegro. The other one is away at Kosovo, which has only been a team for like eight years or ten years. That's right, yeah. We should be beating both of those easily. We should beat both with of them comfortably. Due, with all due respect to both countries. There's two points in two games there at least, yeah. surely, and uh, we're, we're home and dry, so maybe Harry Kane, for his own good and for England's good, does need dropping. Maybe you're all right. I'm yeah. not, not happy with that, but I see your point. He's uh, on form. He's not worth the place. Uh, his work rate is still very good for Tottenham, yeah. Yeah. but what he's get, the results he's getting from that work rate the the percentage of you know the percentage has gone down hasn't it sort of the work rate to so, accomplishment yeah. Yeah. has gone down something to do with Tottenham's woes as well possibly well very much so yeah, yeah. So it's obviously he's, he is a hard worker but possibly it's all beginning to tell and get a bit too much for him as well all right we'll be back after the international break with our comments about that maybe Harry Kane will get a hat trick and we'll all look silly yeah um, absolutely. Before we wrap it up, though, for this week's edition of Carl and Keller's, the question and answer to your triv question. The question was was a, a quite simple one, really. Who is the oldest player to make his debut in the Premier League? So the player who was oldest on the day that he played first in the Premier League. I would have said Jamie Vardy because I think he's, he starts, he came into the Premier League quite late and he's always looked old. How old is Jamie Vardy now? 33. 33. You're, been, yeah. you're 10 years out. Wow. The, what? The, but this person was 43 years and four months and 26 days old when he came on as half-time substitute for Manchester City against Newcastle United on 29th of April 1995. Just as the Premier League was starting, really? Yep. Who's um, that? John Burridge. John Burridge, well-known player, of course, yeah. yeah. So, so basically, because the Premier League had just started and his career was just finishing... That yeah. makes sense, yeah. But 43 years, four months, he's but yeah, still playing. Th that was his debut. I suppose a lot of players made their debut quite late in life in the Premier League by the very nature that it started yeah. during their careers. But any anybody coming on at 43 in the Premier League is incredible. Yeah, I mean, John Burridge is, is, tells one of the, the best stories that, that I've heard. He was at Southampton when Shearer was coming through. 
and during training there was a through ball put, put through and he was going to get to it at the same time as the striker you know they, they come together and sometimes the striker you know slides in to try and get the ball first and ends up hurting the goalkeeper Shearer pulled out and Burridge went ballistic at him don't you ever pull out of a challenge with yeah. a goalkeeper a goalkeeper expects a clattering you give it to him nice that's how football should be played all right well thank you to West Ham Jeff Saunders thank you Jeff you're very welcome you and I shall be back next week I believe Steve Kenneth Kenton will be joining us uh, looking forward to that so do join us next week but for now I'm Chris Carl. that was Jeff Saunders and this was Carl and Kenneth hitting the bar the football podcast you've been listening to Carl and Kenneth hitting the bar join us again next week for more of their twisted football news all of their weird football views you can find them here every week on Carl and Kenneth hitting the bar we'll see you again shortly 